bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. We do bring you around the globe because today... We're going to be bringing you around the globe and landing in Canada, where there has been a surprising turn of events over this past weekend, where 17 uh, prospective terrorists have been uh, arrested, alleged terrorists, I guess we have to be politically correct here, um, because after almost a two-year study of these people, they were found to be sort of at the end of the line, ready to launch attacks on Canadian um, landmarks. And uh, this is sort of creating rumbles that are going around the world uh, because that is not an expected target. Canada was not really an expected target, although one of my guests actually did predict that Canada was going to... uh, be a target sooner rather than later. We'll get into that. But let me just um, tell you that in the United States, uh, and I think probably in, in other places around the world as well, the reason why this has been rather upsetting, aside from, of course, just it would be upsetting no matter where in the world it would be, that there are 17 terrorists plotting to uh, create havoc, but in a country that usually has a rather low profile, Canada, a, a peaceful country, a country where uh, there's a, a large tolerance for diversity and immigration and for uh, such a large plot to be hatched there really shakes the security and some of the denial that um, is so prevalent in the United States as well in, as in some other countries. But it's hard for us to um, to continue to pretend that there's not going to be another attack on our soil in the United States when um, a neighbor that is much uh, less despised than the United States, i.e. Canada, is in fact uh, at the center of such a target. So my guests today are going to be able to elucidate um, upon this topic in greater detail because they are in fact from the very spot where all of this is going on, and that is Toronto. Um, My first guest, or we're actually going to be talking with both of them during the hour, and um, feel free to call in with your questions as well. My first guest is John Thompson. He's the president of the McKenzie Institute, which um, has been established since 1986 to provide research and commentary about organized violence and political instability, including terrorism. Along with him is Dr. Jordan Peterson. Uh, He is a clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto and has studied um, certain topics that are especially relevant, including a special interest in regard to self-deception, which is what I believe these terrorists are suffering from, amongst other pathology. So, welcome to my show, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, 
John Thompson, why don't you start by sort of giving us a background about what has actually transpired there, and then um, Jordan, uh, perhaps you can tell us about what all of this means, has meant. Um, I know it's still rather early. This started on Friday. Today is Tuesday, but still, I'm sure you have some general sense of what this, what impact this has had on the Canadian psyche. So, John Thompson, why don't you start? Well, uh, about three or four years ago, uh, uh, Al Qaeda started to change its focus. It couldn't really operate as a centralized organization anymore, so they started to put an emphasis into uh, recruiting uh, uh, people who lived inside the Western world and could operate there. Uh, often using the Internet as a recruiting tool, uh, and also pro- using the Internet to provide training materials and uh, how-to guides, such as the Al-Qaeda manual. Um, then in the last uh, two, three years, again, you started to be aware that there were sort of the uh, recruiters, the, the people who were specialized in the ideology, working inside the Islamic community. Uh, two years ago, uh, our intelligence agency became aware that uh, there were some websites where there was some chat and uh, chat rooms where there was some talk going on about the jihad. They started an investigation that uh, netted in these 17 results, and they've been watching them over the last two years. Um, this group uh, you know, met, reinforced their beliefs. They uh, held a sort of a training camp uh, in a rural area of Ontario. Uh, they've been corresponding with uh, other jihadists in, in Europe. Uh, there was some movement back and forth with some fellow spirits in the United States. And then finally, um, they'd made their plans for an attack, and they appeared to have been ready for it, so they needed ammonium nitrate uh, for truck bombs and ordered a large quantity, uh, rather stupidly, because they, they tried to get it all from a single source. Hmm. Uh, and that's when Was the this over the Internet, or how did they find this source? Uh, I'm not sure how they found the source, but uh, they... Or placed a ton for three tons. Uh, placed an order for three tons of ammonium nitrate, and uh, the police made sure they got it, except there were some substitutions made with a uh, less explosive uh, variety. Kept an eye on them for a little bit longer, then moved in and scooped up the whole cell. Yes, and um, and and I, I well, I guess the. the People that they were trying to buy the ammonium nitrate from um, let the contact of the police, or they just were watching this whole thing unfold, and the, and the authorities contacted the uh, the supplier. Well, the, the sales clerk, uh, I understand, uh, was already trained the fact that unusual orders for ammonium mm-hmm. nitrate, especially when it doesn't come from a farmer, were always to be reported, and so he did that. Huh. Wow. You know, sometimes it is so amazing how some of these um, these plots are 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 stopped by sometimes just the slightest, you know, by one person sort of being vigilant or, you know, one person noticing something. I mean, when you think about how how we're on the precipice of so many plots, were it not for um, you know, one or, or a few people just sort of paying attention to something. Yeah, well, that's a that's a good point in general because one person who pays attention can do an awful lot of good. So I don't think that's I don't think that's necessarily so atypical. No. Well, in this in this case, the, the police were onto it before the uh, the the order for ammonium nitrate was made. But uh, we had another case a couple of years ago of somebody. Uh, 
Mohammed Kassim, who was photographing potential targets in Toronto. And there was actually two Egyptian Canadian women who told CSIS that this guy was acting surreptitiously, holding a camera under his coat. Hmm. They had a partner with him, and they were making remarks to each other in Arabic, like, okay, make sure you got this, okay? Oh, wait, hmm. put the camera down. Someone's looking. Hmm. And, and that brought whatever was being planned that day to a crashing halt. Yes, and yes, Jordan, I, I agree with you. I certainly am one who who believes very strongly in general that one person can make a difference, whether it's, you know, feeding the homeless or uh, discovering terrorists. But still, I mean, what I was trying to say was just that that I think the public sort of goes along day to day not really realizing that these kinds, that, that by a thread <laughs> they're being spared from some of these plots. Yeah, well, no one no one likes to meditate for any length of time on how fragile peace really is, especially in a complex industrial society. I mean, our landscapes are littered with targets that are relatively easy to hit. Uh, luckily, there are a relatively small number of people who are um, vengeful enough and, and misguided enough to go after them. So, but it, 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 it long meditations on the fragility of society are kind of emotionally upsetting, so yes. people tend not to engage in them. Yes. And yes. we like to think that it, w- it takes really well-organized and intelligent people to cause major amounts of harm, but yes. unfortunately that, that isn't necessarily the case. Yes. Now, there was a mention in some of the um, what was written about uh, this current um, uh, terrorist... Um, stopping of this terrorist attack, uh, in re- the, the recollection of the Millennium um, almost attack that was of, of someone that was heading towards LAX. Could uh, one of you recount that? Well, that was uh, Ahmed Rassam and a uh, cell of uh, uh, Salafists, mostly from Algeria in, in Montreal. Um, they, Some of them had been members of the Jihad before, and I think Rassam might have been. Um, but it, even if he wasn't, he um, had entered Canada as a refugee in 1993 under a much more liberal uh, refugee policy than we have now. Um, got recruited here, um, created a false ID, went to Afghanistan and, and did his training in the jihad, came back, uh, and then uh, it was given his instructions to prepare a, a truck bomb for uh, Los Angeles in, uh, on uh, New Year's Eve uh, 1999. And... Uh, the RCMP and our Central Intelligence Service were on his tail, uh, albeit usually about a week behind him, uh, when he went to uh, Vancouver, prepared his explosives, mixed them all up in a hotel room, and then tried to cross the, the Canada-U.S. border and got caught by an American customs official. Yes, and, and where is he now? Uh, he's in an American prison and is likely to remain there for a long, long time. Yes, um, <laughs> I guess there's uh, certainly, you know, now in, in uh, the States, there's been a lot of attention, I'm sure you've, you're probably both aware, uh, about the Mexican border, you know, all of this brouhaha about immigration. And um, everyone has been focused more, certainly, on the Mexican border. So I think that that, was all, that also added to sort of the shock quality uh, to hear about this in Canada, because we weren't recently paying much attention to the Canadian border. Well, by and large, uh, you don't really uh, Americans, you don't really need to pay that much attention to the Canadian border. Uh, one of the things about Canada and the U.S. is that 
there's an extraordinarily close, I mean, daily amount of cooperation right. between American and Canadian law enforcement officials in both of the, uh, through official connections and unofficial connections by the dozen. Uh, in our intelligence and police task forces, we have American liaison officers sitting in on them, and vice versa. Some of the, the northern states have got intelligence task forces with Canadian officers there. Uh, we exchange a lot of info all the time. Yes, and obviously, and that was part of this raid as well, exchanging information, because there were two people involved who came from Georgia, um, the state of Georgia. So it's a good thing that there's all that cooperation. We knew we need to take a break now, um, but when we come back, we will be talking more about the stopped terrorist plot in Canada, and um, perhaps we can talk about um, what, um, why you were predicting, John Thompson, that uh, that there was going to be such an attack in Canada. Uh, you predicted this a while ago, and also we're talking. My guests today are John Thompson, the president of the McKenzie Institute and Dr. Jordan Peterson, a clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto, both of them from Toronto, and giving us inside information about what actually is going on there. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m., and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Vincent, who also co-produces comedy, beer, sex appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably gotten you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff belt with Ralph's no-holds-barred approach with L.A. Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel, beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on voiceamerica.com. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkgaard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkgaard every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Time. Invoke thought, feeling, and inspiration into your life right here on voiceamerica.com. Education, health care, environmental protection, the war in Iraq, taxes, poverty, abortion, the economy, crime, social security. It's all around us. What are the key issues? How does it affect you? Whether you stand to the left of the political aisle or to the right, Make Your Point with Melanie Brenner is your platform for straight political talk without an agenda. Melanie, one of the top Democratic strategic communications experts in the country, and her guests, political staffers and consultants behind the elected officials, as well as arts and entertainment icons, discuss the issues relevant to our day-to-day lives. Make Your Point with Melanie Brenner, broadcast each Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America channel. Don't just sit there. Make Your Point. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. 
If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Going today to the sign of news, putting Canada on my couch. And with my guests, who are both from Toronto, the site of the recent um, raid where 17 people were arrested for plotting terrorist attacks and um, charged with various charges related to that. Um, and my guests are John Thompson, the president of the McKenzie Institute, which uh, provides research and commentary about organized violence and political instability, and Dr. Jordan Peterson, a psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto. And um, I will give you, of course, as usual at the end of the show, uh, the newsletter, the newsletters, the uh, websites for each of these people, so you can look up more information. But um, on Mr. on the McKenzie Institute's website. Um, John Thompson had written, and I'm not sure, it's not clear when you wrote this, but obviously before this past weekend, that you were predicting a terrorist attack in Canada. What, what were you basing all of that on? Uh, well, uh, there have been reconnaissance activities that have been observed against uh, Canadian targets off and on for, for several years. Uh, it's also true for uh, a number of sites in the United States as well. So, but it was clear that the jihad movement uh, was interested in Canada and uh, to back that up, you've also got some pronouncements from uh, Osama bin Laden and from the, uh, the Jihad Internet Manual uh, advising that of you know six Western nations were to be attacked before all others, and those are you know, United States, Australia, Great Britain, uh, Spain, Italy, and Canada, and then there's five other countries that uh, they've also listed as preferred uh, targets. But of, of all these countries they've listed, only Italy and Canada have not yet been hit. It's just really a matter of time. Well, yes, but isn't it true that Canada doesn't have... I know they have troops in Afghanistan trying to help with the reconstruction of Afghanistan, but you don't have troops in Iraq, right? Well, well don't it, doesn't, don't it doesn't... Sorry, it doesn't seem necessary to presume that um, the, the attacks are motivated by any particular kind of logic. I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to give the terrorist groups... Um, Credit for for desiring the the necessary logical precursors to launch an attack. So, if you're if you're planning a, an episode of this sort and you're trying to justify it to yourself, it's better, in my opinion, to leave the exact details as vague as possible. Because once you start looking into it with any degree of critical intent, it's much more difficult to maintain a sense of your own totalitarian uh, perfection. So. I, I, I don't think that we have to look for genuine sociological causes or political causes, for that matter. Well, and as Dr. Peterson can probably elaborate a little further on, but uh, uh, don't confuse cause and effect with a terrorist. When he says he's doing this for uh, uh, this attack for reason X or reason Y, he's not. Right, he's largely that's operating right. on his, his own uh, for his own psychological reasons, for reasons of his own gratification. Well, yeah. And for him, the cause is more important than any one particular target. Right, absolutely. Well, yes, yes, I, I, I agree with both of you on that. It's just that, I don't know, I guess it's just that, um, and I don't believe that Iraq is the reason for why, you know, I mean, certainly it wasn't in 2001, you know, 9-11. 
Um, but it, it just still seemed like uh, Canada didn't seem to be one of the more high-profile um, countries of that list. Well, you know? I think I think what so so the basic point is, is that if you uh, attempted to make a list of countries whose internal and external policies would lead to the generation of uh, devoted terrorists, Canada would be extremely low on that list. So then, what that the logical conclusion from that is that it doesn't it doesn't take justification to produce yeah. bands of of vengeful young totalitarians. Yeah. You know, and and the fact that it can occur in Canada, which is truly as open a country as you could ever hope to produce, the fact that it can happen here is more a commentary on the misguided nature of the intent than it is on the nature of the country per se. Yeah. You know, so if it can happen here, it can happen anywhere for for any sets of reasons. And John's comments that you don't want like I, I certainly agree that the last person you want to listen to about the true motivations for the terrorist act is the terrorist. Yes. You know, they're, they're using their, their moral virtue as a mask for their, you know, intolerable vengefulness and cruelty and discomfort with their own skin and sense of victimization. And yeah, it's an appalling list of traits. Yes, actually, you were quoted in an article um, talking about the jihad generation. Do you want to talk a little bit more about that? What, well, what, it, what both of you, actually, because, um, you know, certainly the psychological aspects of this, and, and in Canada, I mean, you know, in the United States, and I guess, you know, I, I guess Western civilization um, in general, certainly there are a lot of things. Uh, I believe that there's a lot of jealousy that has to you know, that's, that's a part of this, a lot of self-hatred and a lot of jealousy for, um, for all of the, the things that uh, get advertised as being the ideal way of life, from the sneakers to the, uh, you know, to the iPods to everything else you're supposed to have to be cool and, and live the good life. Um, but it just seemed like, I, I just don't, it just seemed like Canada, that they, there wouldn't be that, Canada has... Um, a combination of sort of a European feel and a United States feel. And it just seemed like it would be less in Canada. What do you think of all that? Well, as for the motive of the jihad generation, um, well, Dr. Peterson, you can certainly help me out on this, but uh, there are, uh, there's, uh, I think, about three or four reasons that you could you could pick out. One, I mean, Canada, like the United States, is a society built on immigration. And we've seen in our whole history, you know, when people come in, there's often social problems with a community of new arrivals because yeah. they're in transition from one society where they understood the rules and institutions and the way things were done to a new society. And that's often why, for example, when you get a, an immigrant community, there might be a higher incidence of organized crime yeah. uh, or more likely to get terrorism attended with a new community before they start to integrate. The other thing is that uh, often the young in an immigrant community, they're, again, that feeling that they don't really fit in is very real, uh, but also when their, their parents and, and their grandparents have been, been a part of something they're, and they're not, right, they often right. decide to become more militant in in the, the case of this identity than other people will be. Um, yeah, well, you yeah. could say, here, here's, a, here's an option. I have a lot of students from mixed cultural backgrounds in my classes at the University of Toronto because it's a really multicultural school. 
And I think a third of our students, it's a large university, uh, have English as a second language. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to see the response of people, the people that John's talking about, as being caught between two cultures. Because I would say there's three alternative pathways if you're caught between two cultures. One is uh, a pathway that's sort of characterized by despair, because you don't fit in well, and it's difficult to catalyze an identity. You can't rely on your parents' identity, and it's difficult to be the bridge between that and the new society. Mm-hmm. Um, another, and so that's kind of a desperate and chaotic response. And then, then a response that's the polar opposite of that is the one that we see with these these 17-year-old kids who can't tolerate the uncertainty of a pluralistic identity and then they start to exclude possibilities. They become very, very rigid and conservative in their thinking and draw sharp in-group, out-group distinctions, and they do that in part to reduce the complexity of the ideational world that they're, mm-hmm. that they're faced with. But then there's a third alternative, and it's the right one, and that third alternative is a, crea- is a creative uh, um, mode of adaptation where the person sets themselves up as a careful observer, to take the best from what they've been given from their family and the best from what they've been given by their new culture and attempts to make a bridge between them. And I see lots of students at the University of Toronto who are doing a tremendous job at that. And But they, in order to do that, you can't be possessed by resentment and you can't be possessed by... by uh, Oh, you're uh, uh, an overwhelming sense of your both your victimization and your absolute rightness. You have to be questioning and open, and and you have to be doing things as a as a developing individual instead of as a mindless group member. So, and it's hard, you know. It's it's hard, but it works. And of course, there's one other factor here too, which is different from uh, you know other bits of you know homeland terrorism or organized crime that we've seen in the past. Uh, and that's actually some aspects of the sort of this global Islamic crisis. Uh, I mean, the whole of the Islamic world is facing a crisis, and it's been carefully mapped out. And if you don't believe me, I mean, there's Bernard Lewis's book on what went wrong, uh, uh, Ibn Warwick, uh, Why I'm Not a Muslim, or Urshad Manji in her book, uh, The Trouble with Islam. And the Islamic world is having a very hard time coping with the modern world. I mean, this sort of identity crisis is, is writ large. But in the Islamic world, you've also got written into the Koran, written into the uh, uh, the literature, is concept of jihad and violent opposition. The idea that if you're being persecuted uh, or if you think you're being persecuted, strike back and and expand the base of the religion through through militancy. Most Muslims ignore this. You know, they think jihad is sort of an optional duty. But in Islam. You know, there are there have been bad ideologies all you know all through history. Take your pick, but this one is just uh, evil on steroids. You know the jihad is very easy to pick up on. It's very easy to justify. It's very very dangerous. Well, um, with regards to the concept of jihad, there's also another way of interpreting that, which I think is more akin to William James' notion of a moral equivalent to war. I mean, from from what I've been able to understand about the religious impulse underlying the notion of jihad, apart from whatever political and military implications it it might have, is the idea of jihad is to 
live your life in a manner that, that constantly speaks of the highest moral virtue, and, and that's a war for God. I mean, similar ideas permeate uh, Christian doctrines. I mean, the idea of uh, the Christian soldier, for example, marching as to war. Uh, it's an idea that the individual is capable of living their life in a, a manner that's stringently moral enough so that the closest thing it's akin to is a kind of military discipline. Well, but that's, it's a sophisticated idea, and it's easily twisted by people who who have a sense of victimization and who want to express that in a primarily military manner. Well, that's quite true, except that, again, about 90% of the literature on jihad in Islamic writings concerns jihad as a form of warfare. Right, And right. it was very easy to, to take the militant expression and say, okay, it's time to go strike out, hit, and kill. Well, it's time to go is an apt uh, uh, phrase for right now since uh, the music is telling us that we need to take a break. But this is very interesting. It's, you know, it's, it's, um, it, the, the individual terrorist is, is operating at such an emotional level. You know, it's sort of interesting to contrast these theoretical levels with it. When we come back, we'll talk more with my guest, John Thompson, the president of the McKenzie Institute, and Dr. Jordan Peterson, a psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Stay tuned. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Bringing you around the world, right from your desktop, voiceamerica.com. Hello, this is Rory Goray, President of Greyhound Pets of America and host of Greyhounds Made Great Pets on Voice America. Join me every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for an insightful and enjoyable talk about one of man's best friends, the Greyhound. Learn about the history of the Greyhound, discuss proper obedience and training techniques, and find out more about the Greyhound racing industry and what they are doing to help the adoption effort of the former race dogs. If you own a Greyhound or just love dogs like I do, join me for Greyhounds Make Great Pets every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Go beyond success and discover a deeper meaning to life. Join host Jeffrey Gitterman and his guests, the premier thought leaders in business, politics, science, spirituality, and culture who have reached the pinnacle of financial and professional attainment in their fields, only to discover a profound lack of fulfillment with what our culture defines as success. So won't you tune in every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time to Jeffrey Gitterman and Beyond Success, redefining the meaning of prosperity, right here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. This week on Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo, our guest is Jamie Bamber. You'll know him from Battlestar Galactica. He plays Leah Dama. We talk about Battlestar Galactica and get a look inside of Jamie's life. Of course, we'll cover all the sci-fi news for the week as usual. That's Slice of Sci-Fi with Michael and Evo. Bringing you around the world right from your desktop. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
My guests today are John Thompson, the president of the McKenzie Institute in Toronto, and um, University of Toronto professor, clinical psychologist, Dr. Jordan Peterson. We're talking about jihad in Canada, of all unlikely, relatively unlikely places, and um, of the uh, raid that went on this past weekend where 17 uh, Muslims were arrested after being involved in a terrorist plot to attack various landmarks um, in Canada. And uh, at least one of these 17 um, had, at least in his mind, plots to storm Canada's parliament and behead officials, including the prime minister. Um, you know, it's interesting, not, not much information has come out in regard to the suspects because, um, because well, for one thing, five of them at least are minors. Um, and also in Canada, there's apparently, uh, <laughs> you people have more of a, uh, of a, a more control over people sort of trying cases in the media apparently than we do here. Um, but some of the people who have been arrested, you know, have relatively, uh, um, sort of one was a 25-year-old restaurant worker, for example, um, and that actually and he wanted to take over media outlets such as the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. So this, there were, in, uh, you know, 17 people, that's a lot of people being involved, and uh, they apparently had a lot of plots and plans. So why don't we talk about, we were, um, we were trying to get into the heads of these terrorists, and one of the aspects of this is self-deception. You know, what what it is that they think they're doing and um, why they think they're doing it. Um, would you like to tackle that? No, I, I can start with that, I guess. I mean, the, the first question really is, I think, why you would turn to a kind of totalitarian ideology to buttress your faith in life. And... There are lots of activities that you can partake in that are capable of giving you the feeling that the world is a good place and that you're making a real contribution and that your life is meaningful, even if it involves some suffering. And those things involve family and intimate relationships and productive labor and creativity and engagement in art and, and, and other forms of culture. But those are all difficult and, and they require discipline, and they require training, and they require a certain kind of commitment to individual truth. And in the absence of those things, it's easy for someone's life to be to go downhill, and for them to become disenfranchised and disenchanted, and and alienated and hostile. And under conditions like that, people's uh, imaginations gravitate towards fantasies of revenge, and. So if you take the if you take the psychology of someone who's alienated, and you combine that with a, a desire for a kind of ideological victimization, I mean we know, for example, from many social psychology studies that individuals tend to feel more prejudice against their group than they have experienced as individuals. Mm. So you can take people who are who are doing perfectly well, who are well-educated and reasonably integrated into a society, as most of these people were, as far as I could tell, and they can still feel a, an intense sense of victimization on behalf of their group. You know, but okay, and then if you well, if you roll all those things together, then you get a complex justification for power-seeking, 
right? Like, I'm going to take over the CBC. That's a perfectly good example of that kind of almost delusional grandiosity. And it's all morally justifiable because you're working on behalf of the oppressed. Yes. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a truly, it's truly a pathetic and cowardly, uh, uh, cycle. Yes, and, and what's particularly sad is that it becomes self-fulfilling because apparently there was at least one uh, hate crime against a Muslim mosque uh, since Friday. And, um, and so that gives the rest of the people who have tendencies to believe that in, in what you were just saying uh, more justification. You see, you know, we really are hated. We really are oppressed. Yeah, well, well, it's a know, little more complicated than that, though. Um, is intended on a terrorist group, you also tend to have political fronts and collections of activists who won't actually commit violence, but they will spread the message or create the conditions for it. And there's a suspicion that the, the vandalism done on the mosque was actually uh, what the British would call an own goal. You know, that uh, previously when you've had terrorist attacks, you get the front group saying, now we, we don't want to have any backlash against the Muslim community. Then, you know, it happened in Britain. They go on, someone goes out who's a Muslim, vandalizes the mosque and goes, look, look, the backlash yeah. has begun. All of us must band together. Yes, yes. Mm, right, right. Yeah, well, that's suspicious the... about this incident. Oh, yes. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, we know already from the Danish cartoon incident that, that the cartoons themselves, I mean, I've, I've looked at them in some detail. They're banal and dull. They're not particularly funny. And you really have to strive to find them offensive, I think. But from what I've been able to piece together, um, when they were circulated worldwide to an audience that was waiting for a reason to cause mm. trouble, there were cartoons inserted with them that were much more um, pathological. You know, I and, and I, uh, yeah, my, my favorite was the uh, the photograph of a French farmer who was winning a pig calling contest. He was a middle aged man with a beard, wearing a plastic pig mask and plastic ears, and that was inserted into the portfolio circulating in the Islamic world as another cartoon from this Danish newspaper. Right. Well, that's a perfect example, and of course, you know, the, there's. There's troublemakers lurking, in a sense, everywhere. I mean, they're disenfranchised people who are looking for an opportunity to lash out at the world. And, you know, these, these sorts of events call them out of every nook and cranny. And that's part of the reason why it's so important to make a very measured and careful response. You know, and one response I think that's appropriate, and we started to talk about self-deception, is that we should be concentrating, I think, on the individual pathology that characterizes this group of people rather than on their religion or on their yes, particular ideological yes. claims. Yes, I agree. You know, they're, yeah. they're, they have a weak character in, in, in many important ways. Uh, they're, and they're looking for notoriety and status and meaning without doing any of the work necessary to gain that in any real sense. It's a, it's a cheap shortcut. And by taking that shortcut, they can also justify violence, and, and that's motivated by an intense internal desire for revenge, indiscriminate revenge. And it's, it's, a, it's the same story that's laid out in Cain and Abel. It's as old as human beings. So. Well, you know, what is one of the things that um, I have talked about um, at length in regard to the spread of violence uh, all over the world. I mean, even before 9-11, I was talking about how media violence um, that has, is being, you know, shipped all over the world um, is 
the cause of um, the energy behind uh, so much violence erupting. I mean, it isn't just in Canada and isn't just terrorism. It's, it's just every country just about uh, has its own hot spots of violence. And in Canada, what is the um, current um, attitude towards uh, media violence? Is, is there more control in terms of television, or is, there, is that talked about at all, or what? Well, no, it's not talking. really. Sorry, go ahead, John. Yeah, actually, in this case, uh, for the last five years, in addition to being with the McKenzie Institute, I've spent one day a week on the Ontario Film Review Board, mm. you know, giving movies their, their ratings and inspecting them. And uh, uh, it's, it's not media violence has not really been much of an issue. Um, I think I have my own suspicions about what it causes, and you certainly see sometimes copycat behaviors among yeah. other people, but. I'm not sure it really sparks the violence. It, it no, just... I think it. I think it. It, the, the, it does a couple of things. Is that it, in a, it inappropriately promotes people who are willing to do uh, extreme things to a pinnacle of fame overnight. And some of that, you know, the I think the high school shootings are really good examples yeah. of that. And I think that the media should consider a voluntary ban on ever releasing the names of people who are are, are perpetrators of that kind of violence. Because right I think that would eliminate a substantial proportion of the motivation. Because there are many people who are willing to throw everything away for notoriety. Mm-hmm. And it's partly because young men, I mean, we know some things about young men, um, they like groups, especially when they're between, say, about 18 or 16 and 26 or something like that. They're, and younger, younger's even more prone to that. They like groups. They like a strong belief system. They like to have a sense of where they're going. They like to have a mission. You know, it's, it's easy for those things to be twisted and turned into something that's pathological. It happens all the time. Well, but they also really like status. And there was a comment today in one of Canada's newspapers about being a radical Muslim and attracting girls. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. Now, what about that? I, I, yes. Um, in what way? I mean, I, I saw that. Maybe it was the same article. How? What were you going to just say about that? Because well, Daly and Wilson are Canadian psychologists, evolutionary psychologists, and they published this study. It's an absolutely brilliant study. Uh, some years ago, looking at the relationship between income inequality and male homicide across North America. So they did a county-by-county survey, and the first data point was degree of income equality in that county. And the second was homicide rate. And the correlation between inequality and homicide rate is almost perfect, which means that in neighborhoods where everyone's rich, there's no male-on-male violence. Mm. And in neighborhoods where everyone is poor, there's no male-on-male violence. But where there's extreme differences in wealth distribution, there's lots of male homicide. And Daly and Wilson's hypothesis, which I believe is dead on the money, is that much male aggression, especially for young males, is status-related. And it's partly related because status is an important uh, marker for... for uh, Mating yes. uh, utility. Yes. So young men with no status are very motivated to get themselves out of that position. And you mentioned one of these guys was a dishwasher at a restaurant, right? Well, he worked. And how old was um, he? He just said a restaurant worker, 25 years old from Toronto. Okay. Well, that's a pretty low status position. Right. And it's a lot more romantic to be the daring captain of a terrorist group yes. than it is to be a dishwasher at a restaurant. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
so and I mean I, I'm not certainly not stating that that's the only set of motivations right. because I don't think that you should get away from both vengefulness and and lying as as contributors, but status seeking is a big part of it. Well, and, and the media give everyone every half baked lunatic who, who has yes. a, a grudge the possibility yes. of being stunningly famous. Yes, absolutely. And I think also to go back to what you were saying about. Um, both of you were saying about immigration. You know, um, part of this also has to do with not having a father figure to identify with to provide this kind of status. And some of these people at the mosques, um, one of them in particular of, of these 17, was known to be a leader of, from a storefront mosque. Of He would always have young guys around him. And, um, I mean, he could have been telling them anything. It was, I think, what they were craving was, a kind of father figure who seemed not to be intimidated by this new life in a new land. When we come back, we'll talk more. I would like to talk about uh, what impact this has had so far on the Canadian psyche, all of this uh, unrest and threats. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk about that with my guest, John Thompson, the president of the McKenzie Institute, and Dr. Jordan Peterson, a clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Unlimited talk at your fingertips, voiceamerica.com. West Coast Business Review and host Annie Campbell presents Show Me the Business. Each week, you'll hear exciting guests give you vital information on advancing your business and career. Learn how others have built their empires, from best-selling authors to renowned entertainers. Listen every Tuesday, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific time on VoiceAmericaRadio.com. Visit our website at www.WestCoastBusinessReview.com. West Coast Business Review's Show Me the Business, connecting you to the business world. Want to break in the action? Join us Thursdays, 8 to 9 a.m. and again from 8 to 9 p.m. for the L.A. Underground Comedy Show, hosted by stand-up comedian Ralph Benson, who also co-produces comedy, beer, sex appeal, Santa Monica's premier weekly stand-up comedy showcase at 14 Below. Originally from Rochester, New York, Ralph has been a bartender in Hollywood for over six years and is a veteran of the Los Angeles nightlife scene. If you've partied in L.A. since a millennium, chances are he's probably got you drunk. So untuck your shirt and have a stiff belt with Ralph's no-holds-barred approach with L.A. Underground Comedy Show on the Voice America channel beginning May 25th and every Thursday from 8 to 9 a.m. and again at 8 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on voiceamerica.com. The results indicate your child has neuroblastoma. There's evidence of metastasis. We need to schedule a bone we'll need to perform a surgical After you hear your child has cancer, chances are you don't hear anything else. CureSearch.org connects you to the most comprehensive research and advice on childhood cancer and to other families who know exactly what you're going through. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. The powerhouse of Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. There is so much to talk about in regard to the topic we're discussing today, jihad in Canada. Um, (laughs) 
sounds so sensational. <laughs> Read more in the National Enquirer. Um, we're talking about this very serious subject, uh, very disappointing, but not totally unpredictable, uh, development in Canada. And uh, my guests are John Thompson, the president of the McKenzie Institute, and Dr. Jordan Peterson, a psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto. And I'd like to talk a little bit about what um, the Canadian reaction has been to this. I mean, I'm wondering whether, um, of course, this is all fresh now, and just like with 9-11, everybody wasn't in denial yet, um, but I'm wondering how people are reacting. Why don't each of you uh, give me your perspective, John? Uh, well, actually, I think uh, Dr. Peterson had a better res- uh, response on it. Yes, I- I'd rather hear him first. <laughs> first. Sorry. Well, okay, Dr. No, Peterson. Ca- Canada, is a, Canada is an unbelievably tolerant country, and our, 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 our political... Um, myth, in some sense, is predicated on the idea of a, a cooperative plurality of groups. And because of that, that makes us very sensitive, and I would say oversensitive often, to the idea that if there's tension or disenfranchisement among even isolated members of a particular group, that that has to be reflective of something pathological about our society, because if we were doing everything we could be, there wouldn't be anyone that was unhappy. And I would say, that's wrong. You can do everything that you can and do it well, and there are still going to be people who are around who would rather that things are worse rather than that they were better. And I think that... You know, Canadians' reaction is shock, partly that it could happen here, but also this reflexive tendency to do, uh, like, constitutional navel-gazing to find out just where it was that we went wrong. And that's a mistake, and it's a mistake first because it legitimizes these people's uh, ideological claims, which are absurd, to say the least. Now, how anybody could be in favor of the pre- uh, of the Taliban rule in Afghanistan is just beyond me. I mean, by any definition, those people were were stunningly cruel barbarians. So to have sympathy for for the previous Afghanistan government is indicative of a form of insanity. And and to not note that, or to fail to note that our country genuinely is free and tolerant and upwardly mobile and that virtually everybody in the whole country is middle class and that it's Toronto is a stunningly tolerant city. I mean, it, it, has, the, it, it has the highest proportion of, of diverse immigrant uh, sub-societies of any city in the world, and it is super peaceful. You can walk anywhere in Toronto virtually at any time, day or night, and, and it's, a, it's an, a thriving place. Our culture works, and in consequence, the, the reflexive Canadian tendency to view discomfort or disenfranchisement as some kind of social sin is, in this case, completely inappropriate. Yes. I mean, these, these, are, these, these people are they're not to be taken at face value, and they should be considered anomalous and cowardly. Yes, you know, and that's similar to what happened in in Britain, and it's sort of a double wound. Not only is it the wound of of knowing that there are these people in your midst, 
citizens, residents or citizens of your country who want to hurt you and, and, and uh, destroy landmarks and destroy people, fellow citizens, but it's also um, the, the guilt and the wound of, of thinking, you know, what did we do wrong? Did we not, I mean, right away, political correctness, um, what did we do wrong that we didn't make these people happy? And it, it's double pain is what it is. Well, it's inappropriate, too, because it pre- it's presupposes that they have a point. And my sense is, like, so they're being, these people are being attracted by radical political utopians or religious utopians. And I, I think that's a form of pathology in and of itself, because, because it's, it's, it's foolish at this point in our history to blindly believe in the probability of a utopia. We've seen the consequences of that kind of thinking enough in the last hundred years. But... But realistically speaking, there, there, there isn't another country on earth where things, all things considered, could be better. And there's also never been a country in the history of the world where that could be said. So one thing it's really important to stress is that our citizens and our children as well should be taught to be extremely cautious of the claims of people that radical action of any sort is likely to make things better rather than worse. Yeah. When, you're, when you're already at the 99th percentile in terms of uh, freedom and living standard, any serious alteration in substructure is going to make things worse. Okay, now, John, would you like to join in O Canada? <laughs> well, no, uh, I echo those sentiments, but I've, there's one other consideration, too. And remember that as part of the sort of the global crisis I was mentioning, uh, there has been a lot of Islamic immigration into Western Europe, North America, and Australia. But following on that, I mean, most of these people have come here as normal immigrants to do the things that our parents or grandparents, our ancestors did, and set up a new life for themselves. But inside the Islamic world, particularly with the uh, Wahhabi uh, activists, there is a, a desire to prevent uh, these Muslims from actually integrating into the new societies. So there's been the export of the, the agents of uh, indoctrination, of the, uh, the radical ideology to preserve divisions, to keep Muslim communities apart. And you find in some of the writing, especially in some of the, uh, the Internet sites and so on, um, the view that actually, especially in Western Europe, that Muslim communities not actually be seen as, as communities in a, in a larger Europe, but be seen as colonies, and that the desire to have you know separate laws, separate institutions, mm. separate uh, a separate identity while living inside Western Europe and North America. So this right. is Canada, also part of the Can- problem we've been facing here. Yeah, well, Canada in some sense too, because our emphasis is on multiculturalism and and tolerance and 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 because that's prey to a kind of political correctness, it's very difficult for us to determine where to draw the line. And um, I think uh, the discussion that's emerged about the Wahhabi sect is particularly interesting because I think that's where the line should be drawn. And I think there are actually empirically justifiable ways of drawing such a line. So I know that there are economic studies showing, showing that the probability that a country will make economic advances is very highly associated with the liberality of its laws and customs with regards to the freedom of women. And I would say, well, we can look around the world and see um, which cultures we can be wary of because those cultures put ridiculous strictures on the behavior of their women. And I think that that's 
a, a sign of real existential cowardice because if you have to clamp down on your women, it has to be something like, well, if you gave them free choice, they bloody well wouldn't choose you. Mm. And that's pretty pathetic. Yes. Well, I'm all for um, giving more opportunities to women. Unfortunately, we uh, that's the music that means that we need to um, close our discussion for today. I'd like to thank both of you very much for a very interesting and uh, insider's uh, view on what actually is going on in Toronto, the site of this uh, arrested jihad. Um, John Thompson, the president of the McKenzie Institute, you can read more about his uh, articles and thoughts at mckenzieinstitute.com, M-A-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E, institute.com. And Dr. John Jordan Peterson, um, a clinical psychologist and professor at the University of Toronto, and you can find out more um, about some of his thoughts at mapsofmeaning.com, mapsofmeaning.com. So do look into this more. And again, I thank you very much. It's a very complex subject and um, I hope that you'll both uh, be safe and that uh, that the Royal Mounted Police will continue to, to do such a good job and stop any any future attacks before they start too. So again, thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman and um, I hope that this uh, not only gives you more insight into what's going on in Canada, but wakes you up a little bit from your denial and sleep in regard to what is coming and uh, the point that I've been trying to make for months now that we each need to contribute to stop it. So thanks for listening. Dr. Carol Kempsch on voiceamerica.com. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.